Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. Amen. This coming Saturday is our work day here at the church starting at 8 a.m. Breakfast actually starting at 8 a.m. But uh, then we will go from breakfast into work. A lot of it is uh, just a deep cleaning around here, a few maintenance items. But from 8 to 4 here at the church, there is a sign-up sheet on the bulletin board. If you have plans and intentions on being here, please sign that. Uh, even if you're going to just be here for a segment of time, please sign up. Uh, that allows Brother Mason to um, kind of address and, and put people over certain things and be able to strategize a little bit. And so please help us in that endeavor. Come and help us out. There are several, several items on the list. We're probably going to have to squelch it down maybe a little bit. Uh, but we'll do what we can do in that amount of time. Last year, uh, we got a lot accomplished on that Saturday. Amen. Everybody helping and uh, doing. And uh, so I expect that we can do something similar this time. Amen. Clean the house of the Lord. He's given us a, uh, a building to worship in. And uh, you say, well, that building don't belong to me. Yeah, it does. That's, this is your pew, your carpet. It is. I know it all is the Lord's, but you you have had a hand in it. This is our house of our house of worship. And so, you know, I man, I just take every house of worship to be mine. I go I go visit I was up there, I was up the, in Muncie this past weekend and I was walking along their sanctuary after one service. I seen some paper on the floor, I picked it up, put it in my pocket, and uh, Brother Michael Purdue said, Yep, you're a pastor. He said, You're picking up our trash off the floor. I said, I'm sorry. It's just there. It's just that's what you do. Amen. It's the house of worship. Amen. So come and be a part, amen, of that. Acts 21, I'm going to read verses 10 through 14. Uh, the first few verses are just kind of geographical in nature, but we'll make a few statements concerning them. And I, I really wrestled with this chapter uh, leading up to today, really wrestled with this. So I may not be able to get it into a bullet-type form type of thing tonight because I think there's an overarching thing that we're looking at uh, here this evening for the few verses I'm going to read. 21, Acts 21, verse number 10. To all of our guests, thank you for being here. Don't mind me, I'll probably pause five more times before I read the word of the Lord. To all our guests, thank you for being here today. We're so thankful that you've come out to be in service with us. Verse 10. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. When he was coming to us, he took Paul's girdle, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Now the girdle speaks ever in scriptures, not one that you're thinking of modern day. Okay, just to allay anybody's thinking there. His own hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth, this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles and when we heard these things both we and they of that place besought him not to go to Jerusalem then Paul answered what mean ye to weep and to break mine heart for I am ready not to be bound only 
but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we seized, saying, The will of the Lord be done. The will of the Lord be done. For a little while tonight, I want to speak to us this topic. God's will be done. God's will be done. Amen. Here we are again on a Wednesday night in the book of Acts. Can we pray that the Lord would help us here tonight? God, I love you here this evening. God, I'm thankful, Lord, for every song that has been sung and every singer, Lord, and musician tonight. God, that put up, Lord, songs of praise and adoration. Your people, Lord, in pews, Lord, that joined in that. God, to give praise and worship, Lord, in this place. But now we come, Lord Jesus, to your word. We need this word, God, to speak into our lives. We need this word to help us, God, along our journey and our path, Lord Jesus, here below. I know, God, in them are the words of life. And that life, God, can be conveyed to us, Lord Jesus, through reading, through studying, Lord, of the scriptures. God, we don't want to fail to thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you do. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Brother Zach, do we still have our, our map up there anywhere? you can you can throw it up there that might help people just a little bit here tonight we give them a map amen again the first few verses of chapter 21 are nothing more but mostly geographical they trace the apostle Paul that leaves Miletus and he is traveling if you remember he is determined he's determined in his spirit he feels compelled even bound by his spirit to go to Jerusalem and so he's going to leave Miletus and go there. And as the custom of Paul is, he has a very hard time going just from point A to point B. He likes to smell the flowers as he goes along. And so he's going to stop at a few different places. And he's not traveling by himself, remember, at this point in time. There is a company of people that are traveling with him. And verse number one conveys to us how difficult it was for Paul to leave Miletus, or even maybe how difficult it was for those at Miletus to allow him to leave, because he had just spoken, if you will recall, to the Ephesian elders about how basically they were not going to see his face again. They were going to see his face no more. So the finality of this moment is, is taking its, its toll upon these Ephesian elders. And the Bible states it like this. The Bible says in verse number 1 of Acts 21, after we were gotten from them, which the literal translation is, we tore away from them. So this was not an easy disengagement. Uh, just imagine if you went and visited some friends and family and said, I'm never going to see you again, this is the last time. That would not be the most easy parting that you would have ever done. But that's what's happening essentially here with the Apostle Paul and these elders. I mean, they're weeping, all right? They're weeping, they're sorrowing, because they're never going to see him again. And the Bible says they traveled them from Miletus. You can follow it there in your Bibles. They traveled from Miletus to Kuos, to Rose, to Patera. And it's there at Patera they seem to have changed ships somehow. It seems as though Paul was on a smaller ship here. And that's the reason why all these various stops were made. But he finally found a ship at Patera that's going to head to Phoenicia, which is a 400-mile journey. So we're talking about a much larger vessel, not going to have to make as frequent stops. And so they're going to go now from Patera to Phoenicia which is in that region of Syria if the map you might be able to see it up there in that region of Syria if we have it or not and they're going to land there 
They're going to land there at a little city called Tyre. Amen. In that place, they will land. And the Bible says they'll land there for the purpose that this huge ship can unload its cargo. It's going to unload its burden. And they're going to remain there for seven days. So this must have been quite a weighted down ship here with cargo and supplies and things that uh, were necessary to get to Tyre. But as they are there, the Apostle Paul... He goes out, and the Bible says that he found, he found some disciples in verse, four, verse number 4. Finding disciples there at, at Tyre. He finds some disciples. Um, according to the scriptures, they are there for seven days. They come across these disciples. Amen. And it seems to be that, that, that these disciples that he finds, are relative, these are new disciples to Paul. These ain't necessarily people that he's had any type of dealings with before, But nonetheless, during that seven-day stay with them and meeting them and getting to know them, uh, the Spirit of the Lord comes down and they are impressed to tell Paul that you should not go to Jerusalem. Now, Paul has been impressed in his spirit to go to Jerusalem. Feels like I'm bound. This is what I'm destined for. So you can only imagine then what's, what's coming upon him to hear other people saying you should not go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem but that's what these people are doing and he's going to finish his seven days there they're going to go to the shore he's going to get back on a ship they're going to pray before they depart and everything's going to be said and done just a little interesting side note here if anybody can stand it all right just a little interesting side note although Paul may not have really known these disciples they are new to him at Tyre he had a indirect influence on the church there being started. Now this is just this is just a God thing. He had an indirect influence on that church being started. Because if you go back to Acts chapter number 11 and verse number 19, if you were to go back there, you're going to find out that whenever Stephen, remember the Stephen, the first martyr of the church, whenever he was persecuted and he lost his life, if you'll remember when all that took place, all the people in Jerusalem started to scatter. They started to disperse here and there because of the persecution that was coming up on the church. Well, in that scattering, you can read it in Acts 11, 19. In that scattering, there was a group of people that went to Phoenicia. There was a group of people that went over to this area. And it's quite possible then, as a result of them being scattered because of the persecution of Stephen and the church, that there was a church then started in Tyre. Who was a major proponent in the persecution of the church of that time? Saul who we have been studying now for the past few weeks, known as Paul. So indirectly, whenever he was a no, no good scoundrel, persecuting the church, he indirectly affected there being a church entire that he's now visiting, seeing disciples of, amen, because of all the mayhem that he spread early in his life. And I think that's neat. I got better adjectives I could have used, but I just think that's neat. Amen, that that would happen in such a way. That just goes to show that God's hand, that he can take what was meant for bad and use it for the good. He can work all things to the good. God has that ability. Amen. And so he just has seven days with these per se new disciples. And uh, as he leaves, the Bible says, and you can see it in the scripture, whenever he leaves, that all of their families come out, verse number five, their families come out to bid him goodbye. 
So it's not just the men, but the women, the Bible says, their wives and their children come out to see him off. Now, that might not mean much to you, but imagine just being around someone for seven days and you got connected enough to that individual that whenever they left, come on, wife, kids, you know, you had to have everybody gathered around the door to bid farewell. I tell you what that does for me, what I picked from the scripture here, that if that, if that isn't an indication concerning the character or the impression that the Apostle Paul left on the lives that he came in contact with, then I don't know what is. That within just a seven-day time period with them, they're getting all their families out, amen, of the house, going down to the shore to bid him goodbye because that's the type of impact the Apostle Paul had on the lives that he came in touch with. That's the type of character that he had. And I think that is a good type of character to emulate. That's a good type of character to emulate. You all may have had experiences that you met somebody for 24 hours and you couldn't wait for him to leave. Huh? Paul's been there for seven days, had such an impact, they're gathering all the kids, you know, the house cat and the three dogs out in the fence to tell him goodbye. Because he had that type of character, that type of impact on their lives. And it's something that we should try to emulate in our life. And I believe Paul, in having that type of impact, in reality, he was emulating then even the life of Christ. Because everywhere that Christ went, he had such a character and an impact and impression upon the lives that he met. However short of a time, however long of a time, that they were always, you know, let's just stay a little longer, Lord. You know, constraining him and not wanting him to leave in even the shortest of times. If you remember, remember whenever he had his engagement in John 4 with the woman at the well? Not a whole lot of time that's spent there at the well, but there was enough dialogue, there was enough character of his own that he relate to her in that short amount of time that the Bible says after their meeting, that lady's leaving her water pot, which was something very vital to her, but she left it. She went back to Samaria, and she tells her strangers, friends, relatives, whatever, come and see a man which told me all things that I ever did. And the Bible says the Samaritans start coming out of the towns by the groves because of the impression that one life had on another man I want to be that type of person and I hope we can be that type of church that we leave an indelible underscore good impression upon them that they don't want you to lead they don't want to separate they don't want to part and by and large, I hope that what the, the secret ingredient to all of that is, it's the power and the working of the Holy Ghost that's in you. Because the Bible says that out of your bellies shall flow rivers of living water. We live in a thirsty society, and we need to be a living river of water for those that are thirsty. And so he travels from Tyre now to Ptolemus, the Bible says, and from there to Caesarea. And while there he stays with Philip, the Bible says Philip the evangelist. It further clarifies this is Philip that is known as one of the seven. One of the seven. That takes us all the way back to Acts 6. One of the seven that were chosen. You remember Acts 6, there were... Some, there were some grievances. There were some words back and forth between the Grecians and between the Hebrews about the daily administration of the goods. Some felt like they were being shorted. 
And so the, the 12 disciples said, we're going to have to find some men to put over this matter so we can pay attention to the word of God, so we can pay attention to prayer. And so they sought out seven men. Among those seven was Philip. Philip denoted here as the evangelist or one of the seven. And so he has now allowed Paul and his company to lodge in his home. All right? To lodge in his home. Now, let's follow this because this is another one of those neat things to me. Philip was one of the seven. He was one that served right alongside Stephen, the first martyr that we already talked about. They served right, up, right next to each one another. They served for the same purpose. They both, according to the criteria of these seven, they both were men of honest report. They were men that were full of the Holy Ghost. They were men that were also full of wisdom. And so they served right alongside one another. So you can only imagine how crestfallen Philip must have been whenever Stephen, his compadre, you know, this person that was his friend, was stoned. And the Bible says, remember, whenever Stephen's being stoned, the, the witnesses that were stoning him had laid their clothes at the foot of one by the name of Saul, who is the Paul we're speaking of in chapter 21. And the Bible tells us, I think it's Acts 8, even plainly that this Saul, or that we know now to be Paul, consented to the death of Stephen. This is neat. Philip serving, Stephen serving, Stephen is killed. Paul was there, allowed the stoners to lay their clothes at his feet, said, go on and do it, consents to the death. Philip perhaps no doubt understands, remembers all of that, but 20 years plus have been removed. There's been a change in Paul's life. 20 plus years have been removed. And the very person that stoned his friend, the very person said that I'm okay with that, he's now allowing into his home feeding him at his table, giving him a bed to lay down in. Huh? Yes, well, because let me tell you what that does for me. That testifies one thing to me, and that tells me that this experience that we talk about being born again, it's a real experience. This experience is a real experience. It has the ability to change lives. It has the ability to change how we view people. It has the ability to create inside of us a spirit of forgiveness. Philip's experience was real. Paul's experience was real. Philip was able to allow Paul into his house. Why? Because the spirit of the Holy Ghost allowed him to be able to forgive that man whenever he changed and altered his life or even prior to changing and altered. It's so much that you can stay in my home. You killed my friend. You took his life. But you know what? I've been born again of the water of the spirit. Amen. I have no choice to keep an anvil over you because God has forgiven me so much. Then why can't I forgive you of what you've done? This is not a fable. This is not a story. This experience is real. It's real. And I think this testifies to the reality of the experience. I mean, 20 years, 20 some odd years ago, both Philip and Stephen had been a target for Paul to go after. And now Paul, 20 years later, 
is living right, as, right along Philip as being the target himself for the very same reason. That's awesome. <laughs> Paul now is embracing the very thing he used to despise. Folks, that doesn't happen by happenstance or accident or just somebody changed their mind. No, that is the power, the revolution power of the Spirit of God being able to do that. Now consider 1 Peter 3 and verse 17. The rest of my time I'm going to be dealing with God's will be done. 1 Peter 3 and verse number 17. This is what the scripture says. This just kind of gives us a little springboard here. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil doing. If you were to continue in that vein of Scripture, the next verse tells us the reason why is because Christ suffered once for sin. In other words, he suffered once for the evil doing. So no one should purposely try or be suffering for evil doing when he suffered once, and that's all it really took. In the book of Acts, the latter portion, about the second half, or chapter 13 on, chapter 14 on, we deal with the main character, the Apostle Paul. Prior to that, the main character that was mostly focused upon was the Apostle Peter. But the Apostle Paul took, took center stage around Acts chapter number 14, thereabouts, and we have been tracing him on his first missionary journey, his second missionary journey, his third missionary journey. But Acts chapter 21, this is the reason why I just fought so much, that Acts 21 is very pivotal, a very pivotal chapter in the book of Acts. Because it's from this point forward, we're not hearing the day of Pentecost scenarios, we're not hearing all these different cities and town scenarios of building a church per se or, or, or tracing the missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. From this point forward, which is about a quarter of the book of Acts, what is left is nothing but descriptions in detail concerning the trials and the defenses of the imprisoned Apostle Paul. And so remember, now Apostle Paul, he's wanting to get to Jerusalem. He's adamant about that. He's bound in spirit to do that. He's persuaded in spirit to do that. He wants to get to Jerusalem. Amen. The day of Pentecost is approaching. He wants to get there. And so we are asking ourselves some questions. Does, does he want to get to Jerusalem because this, this, Jewish, this Jewish feast has taken place and he has a Jewish upbringing and a Jewish teaching and so he wants to get there for that purpose? Or does, does because, you know, according to Deuteronomy, the Jewish males were not to miss, you know, these, these main feasts. So is he wanting to get there as a result of that? Or does he want to get there because, well, you know, the, the church was birthed there. All these people from different nations convened there on Pentecost. And Peter, you know, he answered a question, preached a message. And man, it's went like wildfire ever since. That would be a good place to preach another sermon, you know. On the day of Pentecost, get everybody together. Maybe we can, you know, recreate this thing and have success again. So does he want to get there because he don't want to miss a grand ministry opportunity at Jerusalem? Or does he want to get there because along the way he's been collecting monies, remember, from Macedonia and different places, collecting monies to, to help the poor Jews that are at Jerusalem? So does he just want to get there, you know, to deliver the collection, to make good upon what he said he was going to do? And I wish I could answer 
answer all the questions, but there will be some here in this section tonight that will remain unanswered. But based upon everything that I know, based upon everything we have learned over the past several, several weeks of studying the book of Acts and things that we have looked at in the epistles, from my understanding, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul is driven more by his mission of spreading the gospel and the word of Jesus Christ more so than his Jewish heritage, more so than his Roman citizenship. He is propelled by his message of spreading the gospel. His Jewish heritage, his Roman citizenship, they're nothing more but vehicles to help out to do his purpose of spreading the gospel message. I mean, even the money, if we think about it, even the money that he has collected for dispersing at Jerusalem, predominantly from Gentile people, he does for the purpose of trying to bridge the gap that's in the church of Jew and Gentile. He's trying to have Gentiles remember to give money to Jews and maybe that will be well thought of and looked upon by the Jews so that this, this gap that's between these two peoples can somehow be bridged and that social gap can be closed up and the church can live in harmony of being redeemed of one body and one spirit as the New Testament says. So even in the contribution aspect, it's all about really the mission of getting the gospel, building the church, erecting something to the glory of the Lord. But what Paul runs into is that what happened at Tyre, them speaking and saying, you don't need to go to Jerusalem, happened in many of the other cities leading up to him going to Jerusalem. The Bible told us in Acts 20 and verse 23 that in many of the cities and places he went, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, spoke in many of those cities that he visited and said, Paul, bonds and affliction await you at Jerusalem. So it wasn't uncommon for him to hear that. And it wasn't uncommon for Paul to be looking at bonds and affliction, <laughs> different places that he had went. Whenever it was ascribed or Paul was described, his life was described as one that hazarded his life for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a very good description of the Apostle Paul. Everywhere he went, he was so much so hazarding his life. Think about it for a moment. So for you to tell Paul, when you go to Jerusalem, there's going to be affliction. He's like, okay, what's new? <laughs> when you go to Jerusalem, there's a possibility of being bound. Been there, done that. See the t-shirt? Huh? <laughs> Consider for a moment. I want you to remember, because I know we've done a lot of weeks here, but I'm just going to take you just through a few little pinpoints from the Apostle Paul. Let's remember some of the things he's faced. Shortly after his conversion in Acts chapter number 9, he's being let down in a basket over the Damascus wall because people are seeking to kill him. In Acts chapter number 13, he's withstood by a sorcerer and he's expelled out of the coast of Antioch. Huh? He fled from Iconium due to them saying that they're going to stone him. And whenever he got to Lystra, they did stone him and left him for dead. Huh? When we look at Acts 16, he was taunted by a demon-possessed girl and he was imprisoned in that Macedonia area along with Silas. So think about these things as you hear them start to tell Paul, bonds and, and affliction are coming to you, Jerusalem. <laughs> well, let me show you my portfolio. Amen. He fled Thessalonica and Berea for the sake 
that he was on the verge of being assaulted. The Jews made an insurrection against him at Corinth in Acts 18. He left Ephesus after a mob of people took some of his companions and they were bent on doing harm to them and they would have liked to have done harm to, to the Apostle Paul if he could have been found in Acts 19. Remember, he was going to leave Macedonia and go straight to Syria, but because people were lying in wait for him, he rerouted right back up to Macedonia because there was something evil that was befallen in him there again. Paul's life of ministry has been affliction. It has been suffering. And so for someone to pipe up and start talking about suffering, he says, that's where I've been. That's been my lot in life. And we know, according to the Bible, whenever Paul was converted, we know that this would have been Paul's lot in life. God spoke to Ananias, that man that was sent to when Paul was Saul. He told him this in Acts 9 and verse 15. This, I mean, this is the life scope of Paul's life and ministry. The Lord said unto him, the Lord said unto Ananias, Go thy way, for he, he's speaking of Saul, which we come to know to be Paul, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Verse 16, for I will shew him how great things he must suffer. For my name's sake. Somewhere along the way, I don't know exactly when, but the Lord told Ananias he would show Paul how much he must suffer for his name's sake. But see, here was the difficulty with the people that were saying, Paul, don't go up to Jerusalem. You shouldn't go up to Jerusalem. Affliction's going to be there. Bonds are going to be here. Here was the trouble, trouble with these people. Even with Agabus the prophet that came down and spoke all the things about what would happen to Paul when he went to Jerusalem. Whenever people heard suffering, when people, other people heard affliction, you know what they said? If there's going to be suffering, if there's going to be affliction, then that must not be the will of God. Because largely what the Lord was showing these different people that the cities that Paul were going to, he was showing them what was going to happen to Paul. He was showing them the affliction. He wasn't necessarily mandating tell Paul not to go. He was just showing them what he was going to suffer. And they deduced on their own, if there's suffering involved, that must not be God's will. Amen. And folks, I'm telling you tonight, please don't get sucked into the belief, as our humanity does. That if there's suffering involved, then that must not be the will of God. If there's suffering involved, then that, that, that Paul, you don't need to go to Jerusalem because you're going to suffer. That can't be the will of God. You need to stay right where you are. What it was, was these people had a hard time equating suffering with God's purpose. Suffering with God's will. But Paul had already accepted something. Paul had already realized that the greatest suffering of mankind that had ever been seen on the, in the world was the crucifix of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet he knew that crucifix, that agony, that cat of nine tails, that crown of thorns, the spear through the side, the death and three days in the grave, all of that, he knew that was coupled with the perfect will of God. And so he said, you don't tell me that suffering doesn't mean God's will because the greatest picture of suffering there ever was was smack dab right in the will of God. 
Yes, 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 yes. And so I bring good news to you tonight. If you feel like you're suffering and you feel like you're in the will of God, don't move from that moment because you might be exactly where God wants you to be. And he'll bring you on the other side of this thing when it's all said and done. But be confident in who you know. Amen. Because we, 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 we must be careful. We must be careful about labeling everything that appears to be negative on the surface. Labeling everything that may potentially happen to us negatively. As that not being, that's not God's, that's not God's will. If Paul, think about this, if Paul had really monitored his life by that, he would have been mostly out of God's will. Go back and look at all those instances we went through from Acts 8 on. Letting down the basket, here, there, dude, all this stuff, fleeing for his life, blah, 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 blah. He'd never went anywhere else. He'd become a hermit over in Arabia, just letting God speak to him. But he'd been out of the will of God. Paul, in the will of God, was him oft times suffering, oft times escaping by the skin of his teeth, so to speak, oft times fleeing and going, but all the time perpetuating the gospel, perpetuating the word of the Lord. So somewhere along the way, as God promised to Ananias, somewhere along the way, God had to have showed him. And maybe he did it by increments with each time there was the suffering and yet God's will was exercised. Maybe it was incremental. Maybe he didn't just pull up the whole curtain, but he pulled it up a foot at a time to show Paul that his suffering was in the will of God. He had suffered. He would suffer. And he knows. He knows he's going in this eyes wide open. I'm going to Jerusalem. Bonds and afflictions await me at Jerusalem. Not only that, listen, folks, Paul has, Paul has a sense here. He has an intuition, an intuition about him. Because in Acts 20, 25, where he speaks to those Ephesian elders, he seems to relate to them, and I'll see your face no more. He knows what awaits him, but he, there's some type of sense about him, some type of intuition that, you know what, I don't, I don't believe I'm ever going to, I'm never going to see you again. It's not so much that I just won't get back into this area, but I feel like I'm going to be gone. I won't have the ability to get back in this area. So not only does he affirm, though, to Agabus that said, whoever girdled this, Agabus bound his hands and his feet with it. Whoever owns this, that's what he's going to be bound in Jerusalem. Whenever Paul hears that and he responds, he lets them know not only is he ready to be bound, because he was already bound in spirit, the Bible says. Not only was he bound for the name of the Lord, but he also goes a step further to testify. Maybe because of that sense or that intuition that he wouldn't be coming back. He says, but I'm also ready to die at Jerusalem for the name. If, if, if that's what it comes to, I, I'm, I'm, I'm prepared to die. This is in a very literal sense. I'm prepared to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord. Let me just... Stay this, and it may be a principle you can carve out a little bit. So he said, not only am I ready to be bound, but I'm ready to die. And I don't know if this is an absolute true or false statement. 
But I see that Paul was prepared to be bound because he was prepared to die there. He says, I, I, I'm willing to be bound because I'm willing even to go a step beyond that. I'm willing. I didn't know that's going to happen, but I'm willing to die there. And so we live in a dynamic today. But in the church world, world, it doesn't matter overall. But here's the thing concerning, concerning God's will. Whenever it isn't, you know, rainbow pink elephants and Skittles on cotton candy. Here's the thing sometimes, that whenever God's will is accompanied with suffering, as humanity sometimes, although it's God's will, will turn the other direction. Because we can't cope with the idea of it being suffering and that being God's will. And I have seen an experience in my life that some people, listen to me carefully, that some people will work just as hard trying to escape God's will as they would have if they just simply had followed God's will. Some have turned from His will because they've seen the connotations of suffering. They have turned from that because of those possible dangers. And you know what they found? Worse dangers by not following God's will. I think a, a prime, very simple example that most can relate or even know about in Scripture would be Jonah. Look what Jonah went through just trying to get out of the will of God. Go to Nineveh, speak your message. No, I'm going to get as far away as I can. I'm going to go down to Joppa. I'm going to get on a boat. I'm going to suffer bad storm on the boat. I'm going to suffer being thrown off the boat. I'm going to spend three days and three nights in the belly of a well. In the back, gnawing at Jonah's mind. Why didn't I just do God's will? Huh? Why didn't, I just, why didn't I just go to Nineveh and do God's will? Because we put all, all we see all the, the cloud and, and the darkness and, and the danger, and, but that's God's will. If it's God's will and it's suffering and it's dangerous, then know that God is going to be with you every step of the way. God's going to be with you every step of the way. Amen. Paul. I know this is amazing. Scripture is so awesome because it paints the characters of the Bible in real time, real life. Paints their good and their bad. The positives and the negatives. And what I see in Acts chapter 21, I see the Apostle Paul reach a moment that he has a little bit of a pool about whether or not to go on with what is God's will. I look at it here in verse number 13, Acts 21 verse 13. So they said, don't go to Jerusalem. They've made this deduction because of what he's going to suffer. In verse 13, then Paul answered, what mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? And then he speaks how I am 
ready not to be bound only, so on and so forth. I believe in that moment of that question that Paul poses, what mean you to weep, to break mine heart. I believe Paul felt just in a moment, a little bit of a pull of the reality of what these people were saying. Just stay, Paul. Don't, don't, don't go. They're trying to dissuade him from Jerusalem. Just, just stay. I mean, he, what do you all mean to weep? You, you, you're breaking my heart. I believe in this moment that Paul was feeling the pull that the people were having on his humanity. That the people were having upon his human reasoning. Amen. And their relationship with him. Some of these are his companions that have came with him. That's been through a lot with him. Why don't you just stay, Paul? But then there's this other side. It's the pull of the Spirit. It's the pull of God on his life to do, to do what needs to be done. And so the Bible says that we know ultimately that the Spirit won out. But not without giving us a glimpse, I think, into the appall. My, my heart is breaking. I feel the pull of the people and I feel the pull of God. And I know this goes without saying, but please always go with the pool of God. Because there will always be voices speaking into your life that have close relationship with you. They could be profound spiritual giants for that matter. But you need, listen, People say, you know what, I, I need somebody to prophesy to me. I need this, I need that. No, what you need is to learn the voice of God for yourself. That's important. Because you might end up being a John on the Isle of Patmos when no one's there. But you can step into the Spirit on the Lord's Day because you've learned His voice. Amen. So you, 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 you. You need to know. Jerusalem. That's where it all started. And let me just, let me, that, it happens in everybody's life, that, that pool of human and spirit. So let me, let me just show you. It happens in my life. It happens in my, it happened just this past weekend. It happened just past weekend. He's up there, anniversary services for Michael Perdue, 20 years Exact same scenario was happening up there that happened here uh, seven or so years ago. His dad, 20 years celebration. His son, at the beginning of next year, is going to start being the pastor of that church. They're in a three-month transitional area here in the closure this year. And so Brother Wilkes was up there. His responsibility on that Saturday was to speak concerning the past. In those 20 years, my responsibility on Sunday, this was the responsibility that was given to us by a man. That they were, you know, they'd given you some, 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 some guidelines is to speak about the transition for the future. And so, man, early on, I felt like the Lord laid something on my heart. This was before I knew all these perimeters. And uh, it really didn't go with the future part. It kind of went more with the 20-year past part. So, man, I'm... I'm struggling. I got like all kinds of different things in my mind. I'm telling you, my wife will tell you I was struggling, man. I was fighting, worn, wrestling. I'm like, honey, this is what they're desiring and this is what you're feeling and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, up until the moment they called me to the pulpit. I'm like, but I knew what I was feeling in prayer. I knew what I was feeling in prayer. I knew what I was feeling in the spirit, regardless of what was written on paper. 
So I went with the Spirit. And thank God I did. And it was the will of God. Yeah, thank God I did. But there's always that pool. I could have made a mistake. I'm telling you. I could have made a mistake. Could have flubbed up. But you know what? God, God paid back. God, I should say, revealed to me His will. When it was all said and done, that first night we had great service, everything. There was tongues and interpretation during the message. During the message, there was tongues and interpretation. Man, the things went and service came to an altar session very quickly after that. I'm preaching the next day. I'm doing my thing. We had tongues and interpretation. Then as well, when it was all said and done, Brother Wilkes, he said, Brother McGee, look at this. He said, when they had tongues and interpretation, uh, he said, Saturday night, he said, look what the rest of my notes were. It was some of the exact things that I hit on in my message on Saturday. But he, on Sunday, but there was a divine interruption and God says, I'm just going to show you that this was meant to be. And it works every time, folks, when you follow the will of God. Jerusalem, I got to hurry. We'll end it soon. Don't get nervous. Jerusalem is where it all started. I mean, that's the day of Pentecost. That, that's, that's the birth of the church. Why couldn't Paul just bypass Jerusalem? I mean, seriously. I mean, Jerusalem was just, you know, a rung on the ladder to a bigger picture because Paul wanted to get to Rome, remember? I mean, why would he have to stop at Jerusalem? Amen. But Jerusalem, and what happened in Jerusalem, and we'll look into next week, what happens in Jerusalem was an answer for getting Paul to Rome without any expense of his own, without any strategy of his own. Now, to close with these last final things, Philippians 3.10, this is Paul's own words to the church at Philippi. He says that I may know him, speaking of God, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. I don't know if Paul penned those words if he knew the gravity of what he was saying. But... He was going to know the Lord in the power of his resurrection and also in the fellowship of his sufferings. Well, of course, he suffered with him through repentance and baptism. That's great. But if you look at the story of Acts chapter 21, and you can stand with me. If you look at the story of Acts 21, there are a lot of parallels between Jesus' journey to Jerusalem and his ultimate crucifix and Paul's journey to Jerusalem and ultimately his death. Because Jesus goes to Jerusalem, he has a lot of his disciples with him. Paul's on his way to Jerusalem, he has a lot of his companions with him. Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, knows that he's going to suffer there. He knows the things that's going to happen. He tells his disciples. Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, every city on his way there, they're telling him, bonds and affliction are going to come upon you. Jesus gets to Jerusalem, and he's going to fall into the hands of some hostile Jews that have planted their lives against him. They're going to hand him over to the Gentiles, the Roman government. We're going to find out next week what happened to Paul. He gets handed over too, honey. The Romans are in his care. Jesus, though, is willing to lay down his life. Paul, what do we read? He said, even if I, I'm prepared even to let my life be laid down. Jesus was determined to complete his ministry. Paul has already said that he wants, one thing he wants to do is complete his course of life and ministry that he spoke of in Acts chapter number 20. Jesus, in the garden, not my will, but thine be done, Lord. 
When it's all settled up here with Agabus and everything, even the people joining with Paul's own, own uh, statement of faith and, and purpose, everyone says, Thy will be done, Lord. The will of the Lord be done. God's will be done. Folks, it's not, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's comfortable. I'm not saying any of those things whenever the will of God for you is suffering that that is easy or comfortable to embrace but I'm telling you if it's God's will it's going to be alright if it's God's will it's going to be alright don't shy away from it don't shy away from it it's hard to do isn't it it is you know all throughout the trial of Job everything that he went through right Losing livestock, family, blah, 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 blah. Has friends speaking into his life, right? Do you remember where God spoke to Job? The Bible says, out of the whirlwind, the Lord spoke to Job. That's not a very likely place to have to draw near to where all the calamity is happening and hear the voice of God. But sometimes God's will is in suffering and he can even talk to you in that position and in that place. God's will be done. Can we bow our heads in this place here this evening? Bow our heads in this place this evening. Hallelujah. I might be talking to someone tonight that's staring deep into the eyes of suffering. Maybe staring deep into the eyes of affliction. You're afraid. You're unsure. Your, your, your human responses is Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.